Welcome to Northfield Christian. We're glad you chose to worship with us today. Those of you that don't know me, my name is Rick Sherman. It is my humble privilege to get up here from time to time and preach God's word. Let's take a moment and pause for prayer. Father, it's a joy for us to all be here together, gathered in the name of Jesus. And we come to you anticipating that you're going to meet us and speak to our hearts through your word. And to that end, we ask that you help our brother Rick to communicate well the message that's on his heart. So help him convey the word of life with boldness and with humility, recognizing that we hold this treasure in jars of clay. So we thank you, Lord. In your name, amen. Amen. Thank you. So, in full disclosure, today we are starting a mini-series on kings. Uh, I was at a minister's meeting a couple, three months ago, and uh, we were talking about it. We're going to do a little mini-series on kings, and I know Steve Thompson jumped on the last one, and then it was uh, David on June 6th, and I said, yep, I said, I'll, I'll sign up for that. I got an email from Melissa Allworth this week, and uh, she said, Rick, send me the scripture passage that you're going to use this week as we start our series on 1 Kings. Or on the book of Kings, I'm sorry. And I was like, I'm not reading out of Kings at all. I have two passages today, but neither is out of the book of Kings. See, I missed the word we're preaching a series on Kings. I thought we were preaching a series on the Kings. The King. So we're preaching today out of 2 Samuel and out of Psalm 51 on Kings. Uh, Doug, I don't know where you are. Next minister's meeting I go to, I will stay off the hallucinogenics. King David, what comes to mind when I say that? Anybody? Head crusher. Head crusher, okay. Nothing. Man after God's heart. Man after God's heart. What else? Five stones. Five stones, very good. Bathsheba. Bathsheba. Shining moments. So I'm going to tell you one of mine. I learned everything I know about efficiency, about how to manage people, and about um, razor-thin margins in Tier 1 automotive. I did that for about 10 years, and I have no interest in going back to Tier 1 automotive. Um, anybody ever had a bad boss? I had a really bad one there. Uh, his name was John. John was, what's the nicest phrase I can use? Unscrupulous? unethical. So John was a plant manager, uh, and I ran half the plant, and another lady ran the other half of the plant. And uh, I had an employee, her name was Sean. Sean was in the quality department at best. I didn't care much for her because of that. So one day she committed a very minor infraction. Truthfully, I can't remember exactly what it was. Uh, and John called me into his office and said, uh, did you hear what Sean did? I said, yeah. He says, uh, tomorrow you're going to terminate Sean. And I said, for what? And he listed the offense. And I said, John, I said, that at best is a minor write-up, like not even a, a sending home, just a write-up in her file. No, tomorrow you're going to terminate Sean, he says. I said, John, I'm not. And John looked across the desk at me and he said, you don't have that choice. And I said, John, I actually do. I said, if you want to fire Sean tomorrow, that's fine. And if you want to fire me tomorrow, that's fine. 
but my name will be on no piece of paper terminating Sean tomorrow. Let's get back to that. King David, 2 Samuel 7, 8 through 17. In your pew Bible, it is page 259. All right, so 2 Samuel 7, 8 through 17. So if you've noticed, Micah grew as he wants to be like me. I'm going to wear glasses so I can be like him. (laughs) Verse 8, now then, tell my servant David, this is what the Lord Almighty says. I took you from the pasture and from following the flock to be ruler over my people Israel. I have been with you wherever you have gone. And I have, cut you, I have cut off all your enemies from before you. Now I will make your name great, like the names of the greatest men of the earth. And I will provide a place for my people Israel, and will plant them so they can have a home of their own, and no longer be disturbed. Wicked people will not oppress them anymore, as they did and have done ever since the time I appointed leaders over my people Israel. I will also give you rest from your enemies." The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house with you. When your days are over and you rest with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring to succeed who will come from your own body and will establish his kingdom. He is one who will build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father and he will be my son. When he does wrong, I will punish him with the rod of men, with floggings inflicted by men, But my love will never be taken away from him, as I took it away from Saul, whom I bore you. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever. Before me, your throne will be established forever. Nathan reported to David all the words of this entire revelation. David gets God's blessing. This is called the Davidic Davidic covenant, one of the many covenants in the Bible. David gets God's blessing. David is told he will be one of the greatest men. And isn't that true? How many thousand years later are we? The name David, people still know it. Church-going people or not. King David, David and Goliath. David is told he will be in Christ's lineage. David was an incredibly successful king. Flip over, I'm not going to go there, but if you go to the next chapter, chapter 8 in Samuel, you will see that David defeated the armies of the Philistines, David defeated the Moabites, David defeated the Arameans, David defeated King Zorba. Bible says that God gave David victory in everywhere he went. Countless military victories came with fame. David stayed loyal to God. The plunder of those military battles, it says in in chapter 8 of Samuel, that David dedicated that to the Lord. He was actually accumulating wealth from which Solomon would build the temple. David stayed loyal to God. And 2 Samuel 8.15 said, David was right and just to all. A great man. A great king. Right and just to all. King David, seven years later, pardon me, this great king, 
We know the story. We're not going to go there. I'm going to tell it to you. David is out on his roof celebrating military victory. He's got the world at his fingertips. He couldn't be more successful. He sees a woman bathing. It's after her. David sends for her. Doesn't take long. They sleep together. She can't say no. He's the king. He's tall, dark, and handsome, money, and power. What else could a woman want? She sends word back to the palace. I'm pregnant. Now, this is a real issue because her husband is a general in David's army, and he is not home. That's okay. David's the king. We have solutions to these problems when we're the king. David brings the general home. Says, Uriah, take the weekend off. Why don't you come home? Because then he's going to go home, and it will be look plausible that the child... Uriah is such a noble man that he will not sleep in his own house because his soldiers are away from their houses. That's okay. David has a solution. He gets Uriah drunk. Alcohol is usually a very good aphrodisiac. A drunken Uriah sleeps on the palace step, still not going home. That's okay. David's the king. We have solutions for these problems. David gets another general to put Uriah at the front lines of the battle and instructs the general when the fighting gets retreat and Uriah is killed. An adulterer, a murderer, and a liar. King David. Willful sin, total deceit. Folks, you think we have problems in the White House? King David. So which is it? Conquering king, man after God's heart, right and just to all, and in the line of Christ. Or is he an adulterer, liar, corrupt beyond comprehension? I often wonder over the years as I've contemplated this, were there other people in the palace that needed terminated, either from their job to stay quiet, to keep this a secret? Murderer. Man after God's own heart. How can we rectify these things? How can we remedy this complete dichotomy? It's right here. It's the word repentance. When confronted by Nathan, in, interest, sorry, interestingly enough, the same man who gave David the Davidic covenant of his promise, when confronted by Nathan, David actually is blind to his sin. And if you do the math, this wasn't a one-night stand in the terms of, well, it might have been, but David's sin had to have carried over for two months, from the time the word gets to the time, do the math. And Nathan says to David, you are this man, this sinner. And David's response, I'm assuming after a significant pause, is six words. I have sinned against the Lord. If you remember nothing else today, six words from David. I have sinned against the Lord. The Lord. Let's read Psalm 51. It's entirety. It is page 474 in your pew Bible. 
Psalm 51. If you, do, if you read the header in your Bible, if you have one, mine reads, For the director of music, a psalm of David, when the prophet Nathan came to him after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. And verse 1. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my trans. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned, and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Surely you desire truth in the inner parts. You teach me wisdom in the inmost place. Cleanse me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will turn back to you. Save me from blood guilt, O God, the God who saves me, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt off. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. In your good pleasure, make Zion prosper. Build the walls of Jerusalem. Then there will be righteous sacrifices, whole burnt offerings to delight you. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. David starts with, have mercy on me through your unfailing love. God's love is unfailing. Do you, what David did, God's love is unfailing. And David then says, my sin is always before me. And as I've pondered this verse, and we'll talk about it, yes, he's maybe referring to his terrible sins that he committed with Bathsheba and then Uriah. But I wonder if it's just not the overwhelming understanding of his sin to his core, through and through. And David writes here again, against you, you only, have I sinned. Restore to me the joy of my salvation. And that is the best part. Because when we do repent and when we do confess our sins, then we have joy in our salvation. And as our sin overwhelms us, that's not where we need to stay. We need to stay in an understanding of the joy of our salvation because we have joy in our salvation. And it's, we don't need to wallow in there. I want to talk about that a little bit. So what about me? I told you my story, my shining moment. Well, we can put this versus, I'm guilty of all those. So what about me? So which is it? David the conquering king. David the murdering adulterer. Rick the guy willing to put his job on the line for someone that was not worth it. Or at any given moment in time, not at any given moment in time, at a moment in time, I was guilty of all those things. 
So which is it? The correct answer to the question, which is it? It's neither. Not for David, not for me, and not for you. Because at the end of life, God doesn't stack up your good and stack up your bad and put them in a scale and see which wins. That's not how it works. The Muslims say it does, but that's not how it works. It's neither. You're not you at your best shining moment, and God looks down and says, man, I'm so proud. Look what he did. That's great. And you're not you at your worst moment, where Satan wants to point out that's what you are. And God says, I can't believe he did that. It's neither. It's our identity in Christ. Who are you listening to? Point four in the bullet. Who are you listening to? Are we listening to Satan? Because this is what Satan's going to tell you, that you're guilty and you're unlovable and you're worthless and you're unforgivable, those sins that you did, and you're despicable and there's evil in your heart. That's what Satan wants to tell you. Are you listening to him? Who is Satan? Satan is the father of lies. Satan hates your guts. Satan wants you to burn in hell. Are you listening to him? Or are you listening to Jesus? And Jesus tells you that you are a child of the king. Jesus will tell you that you are loved beyond measure. Jesus will tell you that you, you were worth his precious blood. And Jesus will tell you that you're forgiven forever. And who is Jesus? Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega. Jesus is the bright and morning star. And Jesus is known of the demons and they tremble. So are you a big sinner? You currently involved in an affair? Are you abusing your power at work? Are you murdering people? Are you, are you deceiving? Are you living in a complete lie? My guess is no. I'm not either. I'm not an adulterer. I am not a murderer. I'm not abusing my current power at work to David's level. But I work at a lawnmower shop, those of you that don't know. When someone comes in and they have absolutely no information and they're trying to get me to help them find a part or find something, and it's very frustrating, and when that person leaves and I think, how can someone be so stupid? Then you know what? I have sinned against And when someone comes in and they're looking at a push mower, $300 push mower, and they ask me, do you guys have financing? And I say no. And when that person leaves, I think, how can you not have 300 bucks? How can you not just slide your credit card and pay it off in a month for 300 bucks? And I'm elevating myself. And I have sinned against the Lord. See, sometimes I wonder if we just put our sins in a bucket where it's just us, it's me against that person, it's me against that. I have sinned against the Lord. When I lash out in anger at my wife or my children, you know what? I've been working in a lawnmower shop. I've been working 65 to 70 hours a week for the last four months. I don't know why spring won't end. The store has gone crazy. That's okay. You know, my wife needs to understand. And I asked Beth for forgiveness, and she's my wife, and she loves me, and sure she does. But you know what? 
I have sinned against the Lord. When I say that thing that I know I shouldn't say to elevate myself or to put someone down, then I have sinned against the Lord. When I don't love like I should, when my eyes don't see people like Christ sees them, then I am against the Lord. I'm a golfer. Some of you know that. My best golfing buddy is a, I was going to say devout atheist, but I don't think those words go together, an ardent atheist. Over the years, we've had many conversations. He knows exactly where I stand. But I don't know how many times I've known just to say one little phrase, one little word. And I don't, because I'm ashamed. Can't tell you why. He's a great friend. We've talked about it many times. And then, when I don't do that, I have sinned against the Lord. Folks, as a church, if the day comes where we choose what we want to believe out of here and what we don't and what we want to eject and want to put our personal opinion on what's relevant and what's not and what's passed away in this word, at that point, if it comes to that church, then we have sinned against the Lord. I'll let you read that. Folks, that is so true for me. It's true for you too. Because if all you're given is a second chance to go over and do things again, you'll stand twice condemned. But the good news is that's not all we're given is a second chance. We are given the cross. We are given the precious blood of Jesus because we can't pay it. We are not just given a second chance. Jesus Christ, the Holy Son of God, came down from heaven, a man that knew no sin and became sin for us. So we don't stand condemned. I don't know who this is here for. I can't get this out of my brain either. You don't know what I've done, right? I've done stuff so bad, so shameful, no one knows it, and I, I cannot forgive myself. You know what? That's true. You can't. Satan is correct when he tells you that. Words you don't hear from the pulpit too often, that Satan is correct. But Satan's not telling you the whole truth. You can't forgive yourself. That's not yours to do. But Jesus can Jesus can. If Jesus can forgive David and the sins that he did and call him a man after his own heart, then he can forgive you of whatever you repent of. We are going to close in song. Uh, Worship team's going to come up. Who are you listening to? Who are you listening to? You listening to Jesus? Or are you listening to Satan? Because he is calling you to repent. If you're a Christian, whatever big or little sins you have, he is calling you to repent. And he wants to restore to you the joy of your salvation.